welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. introductory episode meet Anna and Jordan Anna and I are a full generation apart we think in this intro episode we share our story of how we came together to bring light and love to the community living with hidden challenges we chat about how we met how we landed in this community and what we want to achieve with this podcast and our lives Great. All right, here we go. Well, welcome to our first official time together recording our podcast, which is named The Village Lantern. And I think it's important to note as well that the first thing Anna did when we started doing this podcast is she's taken off her glasses because this is the the longest time she's had to stare at my face um, for a long period of time. So yeah. the glasses had to come off because apparently it was a bit frightening yeah. in high definition. Have you seen how thick my glasses are? I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit offended, but playing it off cool for, for the podcast. They're so uh, thick. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like I think I look like a googly eye person, so I just yeah, have to take them off. <laughs> I think maybe it'd be good to set up the summary of the podcast. Agree. And why are you and I sitting at this table together? Absolutely. Well, we've brought together through a mutual friend of ours who just basically said, you guys should connect. Um, you both have really interesting perspectives and, and ideas in, on disability and, and working in the special needs community. Having a coffee, sharing our stories, and, and by the end of it, it was... The start of, uh, as High School Musical quoted, the start of something new. That's yeah. that's for the younger listeners there, that Hang one. Hang on. <laughs> What's the, high, I love High School yeah, Musical, okay. but you don't have to be that okay. young, do you? No. Well, well, once you reach a stage you're old enough, then it's also then you're vicariously through your children. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'll try not to be offended by that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, we were so lucky to meet, weren't we? I feel like I'm getting a little bit more um, spiritual in my old age, and yeah. I feel like um, destiny brought us together um, because we've found this great opportunity to bring together your connection into this group of young people who you're really leading in building their awareness and understanding and care for the disability community. Where I came to this was trying to find people to help with my kids. And struggling to find people who could tolerate some of the behaviour, some of the unexpected or, un, you know, things that might be considered unacceptable. It didn't work for me. I couldn't, I was working, I was busy, I needed help, I needed someone to help with pickups and in the afternoons and I, just the number of times people walked out of my house crying, literally, right, sometimes crying, which I completely understand if you're not ready or you, you don't have the background, Um and so from, from, from that was one of, the area, one of the reasons that I was very excited to know that there was this growing group of people who would be, you know, ready to step into my family and many families like mine that I know struggle to find people. Young, cool people is a pretty fun. No, I'm an old lady saying cool, yeah. So it's definitely one generation, right, yeah, between well, us. Nothing more than that, we wouldn't say. How would we say, how long is a generation? Is it 25 years? I, I think, think it's less. I think how they mark generations these days is, is how you engage with your iPhone. So oh. my generation, it's very close to our face using it just with our thumbs. Right. Then generation above me, it's about 
uh, six inches from the face and just using the index finger and squinting. Who does that? And Me, my that, well, generation. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about you personally. I'm just giving a typecast for generation. And the generation above that is, screw this, I'm not doing the iPhone thing. I just Too hard. can't help me with my outlook or you something You should have like seen that. how fast I could text on that old phone. <laughs> you know, you had to press the numbers like three times to get C. I, I was like so speedy. I, I'm probably one of the last of my generation. I'm 22. Yeah, one of the last that'll ever know what it was like to feel like an absolute Whiz. Do you reckon that makes us almost like a crossover in a Venn diagram of generations? If you're going to use the metric yeah, of the yeah. phone? A, a little bit, a mm, little bit. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this group of young people who you're really leading? The most of them came by choice, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of been a, a lot of my ideology or, or what I'm trying to do with advocacy is, is bring in people into the disability community, into the special needs community, who may otherwise not have, have accessed it. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to, to fall in love with the individuals we work with and, and to really resonate and, and empathise with the families. But it's just the access point for young people just isn't there. You know, if your family's not connected, there's, disability doesn't scream to your face, you know, come, come hang out, come learn about it. Um, but once you're in, so, so many passionate people and, and so many people who... Who want to who want to learn and, and want to give and, and that's basically what I'm trying to do. Is I was so privileged to be able to to have a great access point into the community and it's changed me a lot more than I've been able to change it so far. Um, and that's what I would just absolutely love to do to to keep bringing young people in 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 fun ways in in inviting ways to then be able to grow in themselves as advocates and allies, educators, and just as friends and humans, right? Absolutely, yeah. So why why do you want to why do you like doing this? I think it's it's just teaches you so much about about love and, and understanding. And I was so lucky that growing up, I was really able to my first connection with with disability um, was when I was 10, 11, 12. It was we were volunteering with my dad at different organizations that work with underprivileged communities. The first one we were with was a place called Children First Foundation. And just being surrounded with kids, you know, maybe who were a bit you know, different or, or seem different physically or behave different. But I was just 10 and 11 and 12 and having new friends or quirky friends or even just people who I would see. And, and it was a really natural thing for me. But then growing up and, and understanding things were different and, and doing my own volunteering when I was 17 or 18 and, and understanding you know, what disability was and, and what the divide was and, and how the social model affects kind of the, the exclusivity or the barriers between being able to find that connection really made me really interested. And I think when that interest, you know, came from curiosity and turned into passion when I first started developing my first real connections with, with children. And that probably started when I was about 19 and I was, you know, working every single week, most days with, with a few children who were nonverbal and being able to start from a place where, you know, the first day I walk in there and I'm like, you know, you seem great and and cute and really funny but I just don't know how to connect with you because you are we communicate so differently you're nonverbal and have a whole plethora of ways that you see the world and can communicate and then I've kind of always been there like I just say how I'm feeling and people tell me how they're feeling and going from that to even just a few months later seeing someone as a genuine friend who I connect with and can hear their voice in a thousand different ways that, you know, isn't just verbal, 
changed my whole perspective on everything. Yeah. I mean, people say things, you don't know if they mean it though, yeah. right? So <laughs> yeah. maybe in some ways having, a, a, what did you say, a thousand different ways of like yeah, communicating the, with someone's probably quite and, hard a to thousand lie. One. Yeah. A, they, it's, a, it's a thing they say and there's a, an approach called Reggio Emilia, which is an educational approach that's all about empowering children and, and, and illuminating them in the best way possible and them taking on that. But they speak about the 1001 voices of children where what they say is one way to interpret how they're feeling. There's a thousand different voices that they share that we need to tap into and, and it can be anything from how fast someone is distancing from you, how fast they're blinking, how they're breathing, how flushed they are, how their body contact is, you know, how, how quickly they're, you know, verbalizing or is there's a thousand, you know, we do exercises where we list, there's a thousand and one. And, and it's really, you know, it's amazing once you begin to tap into that. And then, and then not just with, with people who have special needs, mm-hmm. once you be able to tap into that in your life, you begin to understand people and yourself so much better. And then the other one for me is also because I'm becoming more and more passionate about uh, having an impact on public opinion and on how people see people who are different, you know, and you've got access to this growing group of young people who can really make a difference in their sharing their attitudes and shifting um, with the people around them. You know, there's this kind of multiplication effect of if if you've got a growing number of people who can do that with the people around them, then I think that's, I suppose, growth in that area because I had no um, exposure to anything outside of mainstream my whole upbringing. And that's the other thing I just find it so remarkable and wonderful that young people already at your age or around your age are interested in that because quite honestly I think I was probably pretty self-absorbed around yeah. that age. I mean, I've always cared deeply mm. about other people, but I, I don't think that I had enough, I don't know, insight or foresight to think about outside of mainstream. So one of the things that I I say now is how discovering that one of my children is on the autism spectrum, one of my children has ADHD, and my third child has very significant anxiety issues. So basically all of them struggle with some of the stuff that for other kids seems quite normal. And that was a shock for me to even sort of understand because I didn't understand it personally and I hadn't had any exposure to it. Um, but when they're your children, um, you know, you, it's, it's quite a primal thing to become very protective and to try and work out um, how to keep them safe and how for them to find their own development path and for them to meet their best potential, their best selves. So I had I became, from a research perspective, I would read a lot, but also obviously we had to live it every day. So I had to learn from a behaviour perspective and a discipline perspective and a communication perspective, really different. Um, I mean, even now I say to my husband, in because we're both learning, I say, I know it's very counterintuitive, but you can't shout when they're being, you know, difficult. It's the first thing you feel like doing, like any kids, but with ours, when you shout, it's just it just escalates everything. So you really have to retrain your your responses and how you how you're sort of thinking about situations. And over time, I've also become quite passionate about changing public opinions because my children have to grow up in this world, and I know how hard it is already um, to then have to face. Um, either discrimination or judgment or isolation because society doesn't understand. I feel like um, there's something that we can shift there. And and from what you've seen since you were 
in your early 20s, um, not too long ago, uh, and, and to where we are now and to where you want to be. How have you seen that, that growth in, in, in public change and public opinion and, and where do you think, you know, you ultimately would love to see it going? So I would have to go back and look up what public opinion was when I was in my 20s because I, I just paid no attention. So let's call it, from my perspective, I had no knowledge. Yeah, I, think, I think that's a, you know, obviously then a reflection that if you just had no idea in early 20 about the community, about what was happening, that probably is a reflection of, of where public opinion was at in it being not something that was talked about enough that you know, socially active early 20 people have, haven't heard about it, um, yeah. which is, you know, now most, any social issue that has commentary on it, you know, people who are in the early 20s are, are all across it. So definitely I think would... Yeah. Representation. Yeah. I mean, if we talk about autism now and, and, and remembering that what we're, so we're having a conversation about disability, but quite a lot of the focus that we're going to be doing is around this invisible factor. So, and not because it's more important, but because it's, it's invisible. And so people, if someone's in a wheelchair or if someone has some physical differences, then if they behave differently, they're more likely to be um, understood or tolerated at least or, or forgiven because it's evident that there's something different. So we do, I think um, it's going to be probably more of a focus on that invisible um, perspective um, just because that's where I think there's even less understanding. And almost th- there have been some really impactful characters in the last, call it 10 years, who've been representing disability um, at physical disability really well. So Dylan Alcock, for example, has made a fantastic effort or improvement in the way people understand and see physical disability. And I think, you know, even the Special Olympics, for example, has really increased visibility of the broad spectrum of disability. I don't know that there's very much being done about the either autism spectrum disorder or attention deficit disorder or some of the other behavioural um, and neurodiverse issues that you can't see until the child's having a meltdown or yeah. the child's throwing something or swearing and all of those things look like bad behaviour if there's not an understanding that it might be caused by something else. And, and obviously, you know, having, having a family, having uh, a child who has special needs presents many different challenges, um, you know, many different awesome opportunities and, and ways to learn but very challenging and whether it's physical disability, intellectual disability, high support, low support, you know, obviously very different. But what do you think are some of the ways that having, you know, someone with invisible needs differs in the challenge that presents for someone who, say, has a physical disability or a high support, special needs that is very evident uh, to someone just walking past, say it's something happening in the supermarket or down the streets. What are those extra challenges that maybe people don't really consider? Yeah. I mean, as much as we like to say, don't worry what other people think, we all do. And, you know, as parents, as I said, one, we're very protective, but two, we still live in the world with everyone else and we still do worry about how things appear. And so if our child's having a meltdown in the supermarket, and when we say meltdown, I mean lying on the floor screaming, maybe knocking things off shelves, maybe swearing. I mean, I can say from my family, absolutely. Um, That looks like a kid who has no discipline. It looks like the parent is um, too soft and the child has more control and that, you know, somehow that's bad parenting and that's a bad kid. Mm. And that, I mean, knowing that, look, you don't, none of us know what people think, but sometimes you can tell because either people will comment or the looks on their faces, give it away. It's one of the 1,001 ways we communicate. <laughs> right, <yep>. <laughs> um, and so that's just another thing to carry. Like already it's hard enough you're trying to do the shopping and your child's upset. So you feel bad for them because they're upset. You've got to do the shopping. You're tired. You're hungry. They're hungry. You've got to get them home and they won't come. 
And then people are looking at you. It's a lot of layers to carry and it makes a lot of stress for parents and carers who are just trying to get through the day. So what happens is normal things become really hard. So either you avoid them or you, you know, you do them and you come home and you're just broken and exhausted just from a normal, you know, go to the shops or, I don't know, go to the park, whatever it is. They, they should be easy enough, but they're not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's also harder because, like you said, people aren't necessarily open to being understanding because they're not. I think people have been, I don't know if program's the wrong word, but there's been enough education that now when people see someone with an evident physical disability or a, a severe intellectual disability that people are like, okay, you know, don't stare or, you know, understand that it's difficult and people put on a bit of an empathetic uh an empathetic helmet and and just, oh, I know it's really tough. But then when it's not in a way that's super evident, maybe the physical, there's no physical disability or maybe the verbal communication is absolutely fine or all those things and then they don't put on that that lens of empathy. Um, when they see a child having a meltdown, their, their first thought often isn't, well, maybe that child, you know, is going through a bit of a meltdown and maybe it's really tough and let me give empathy to the child and to the family. Um, it falls within the realm absolutely of, of disability advocacy and, and people want to get on board, but I don't think there's been enough yet for people to, to, to think that when people see someone having a meltdown, their first thought just doesn't go to maybe that child has special needs and, and I need to be empathetic and, and see if I can support in any way possible. It goes to judgment over a, a bratty kid. Mm. And one thing I've noticed, I think if we think about the terms and over time we'll start to talk about the different sort of conditions that we're talking about, but if you take autism, for example, my observation is that people have heard of autism. Mm. The challenging thing about that is that it's so broad and so it doesn't look the same really for any one person, but I think they know the term. So I remember we had an incident at an airport once and, you know, you can only imagine we're sitting around waiting for a long time. My daughter was tired and hungry and she started screaming and swearing at me. And these group of boys, maybe 16-year-olds, were behind us. And, of course, they were giggling. They thought it was hilarious, which I can understand. But I turned around to them and I said, boys, she's autistic. And they all stopped. And they all, I could see on their faces that they felt a little bit embarrassed, apologetic and understanding. And so I thought, well, that's interesting because they can't see it. But when I use the word, there's some level of understanding. So I think... Now that, and I don't know how sort of much that is the case for the broader community, but I, I do think that what we now need to start doing is explaining some of those things. What do they mean? How do they play out? And what might they look like? If you happen to see it, you might think, okay, I don't know, maybe it is a bad kid, but maybe it's a child with some challenges. Yeah. And I don't like the idea of bad kids, but more bad parenting, let's say. Yeah, well, I think, and that's, I guess, the core idea of advocacy in general is that you believe in people and you believe that people do want to do good things and the only barrier is some sort of ignorance or lack of understanding. I mean, that no one advocates if they don't truly believe that at the end of the day, some people are going to change. Um, and you see that people are willing to be passionate and compassionate and empathetic. It's just about showing them the tools of when they have to use that. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Maybe it is a kid who's having a tantrum and maybe it is uh, a kid having having a meltdown because of sensory overload or something like that. And also, so yes, I want people to understand the hard bits, but I also want them to know the amazing bits. It's so two-sided, you know. There's so many really remarkable things about 
people who think differently, you know. I mean, it's not very hard to find people referencing all those sort of famous people in the past like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and uh, Albert Einstein, all this kind of people, oh, they displayed traits that could now be considered to be either autistic or, um, you know, attention deficit or something else, Mm. Um, dyslexic, things like that. I I don't know if you've seen Hannah Gadsby's latest um, show called Douglas. No. Uh, do you know who she is? She's amazing. So she's a very, very, very funny comedian. She's got two shows and in both of them she talks about the fact that she's autistic. And the first one is quite shocking and she talks about some terrible things that happened to her. But she's also still really funny and so brilliant. And in her second show called Douglas, she talks about how First impressions are not often the best for autistic people, which I love because she's not wrong that from what I've seen with my daughter, often the first couple of interactions might be a little bit not quite right. Sometimes they're great, but sometimes they're a bit wrong. But if you don't wait and if you don't have patience, you'll miss that and then you'll miss all the amazing good stuff that comes, right? And that's if people understand that, they might be a little bit more tolerant of a first interaction that wasn't a bit was a bit strained or or have the lens to appreciate the maybe brutal honesty or appreciate the dry sarcasm or appreciate these like funny, these very, very, very funny uh, ways that often people with special needs can see the world in a slightly different lens that that allows for hilarious moments of social commentary in, in just different ways to come through. And um, But the beauty in having that understanding means that we get to gain so much more. And I think that, that what you said earlier about looking for the, the good things and it's a very interesting commentary when chatting about, about special needs. And I think it's something that will exist throughout our podcast because there's, there's lots of people who are really passionate about special needs. Community is the most loving place and it's the most empathetic place. And then there's a whole commentary of people, families, individuals being like, this is really tough and we need to talk about how tough it is in my life is harder than most people. Having special needs is harder than not. Having a child with special needs is more difficult. I don't need you to tell me that I'm lucky in some way because often I feel unlucky. Ultimately, and I think it's something that we'll explore a lot, is ultimately they all kind of are true. Um, Mm. And you don't have to, by saying things are really hard and that some days are just really difficult, doesn't undermine you also saying some the, the love that I feel is amazing and, and the humor that I get to experience is great. I think that that, is, that holistic understanding is so important and for people who are involved in the special needs community and for people who are just sort of curious and, and getting in, involved for the first time, that's, it, that's kind of a way to explain it. I, I often say that in most situations, um, and, and as a support worker and as a coordinator of support work, I often just say uh, a lot of things are more intense or just things happen a lot faster, but that's how the the positives and the negatives, it's just an intense community. And if you are open to that and, and understand that and, and accept that, it's a really interesting, amazing space to really grow yourself and to contribute so much, but it's uh, it's intense for all the right and wrong reasons. And so, I think, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what has been really kind of unexpected for me as I continue to live this life is how you can have joy and pain concurrently, like a lot, you know. And um, like when I was going through that, I'll call a grief of the sort of acceptance that this is always going to be harder and yet I feel happier, weirdly, 
before than before things were harder because I feel more deeply, I think more deeply, I care more deeply, not just about my family, but about the world, about everyone around me, which is beautiful. In this time, one thing probably that I would not have expected to happen is I've become obsessed with comedy <laughs> and probably because I'm seeking something to make me laugh, but I'm starting to see how comedy is so... Um, sort of intrinsic to humanity and how it's a really positive way of responding to the struggles of life, right? So we all struggle in our lives and we can choose different ways that we deal with it. But I, for me, comedy is everything. And so I'm excited that we've got some some comedians or funny yeah, people absolutely. that we're going to be talking to. And I'd love to get Hannah. Like I'm going to do, I'm going to see what I can do to get <laughs> right, her up to yeah. the table. She's an amazing advocate for autism. But she's so funny. Yeah, I, I think, love her. I think it's so interesting what you said because just thinking about it, Comedy really helps us understand and, and deal with maybe times that aren't so happy and, and allow us to feel, you know, laughter. Because when I think about it, stand-up com- comedians or things we laugh at, it's all unfortunate situations. We laugh at dark things. We laugh at things that go wrong. And I guess that is just the reconciliation of we want and we, we crave humour at our darkest times. Maybe why you find going to a comedy club or going to a movie with your friends so much more funny uh, rather than when you're watching on your own is because we like to enjoy that shared experience totally. of all understanding. Yeah, I think comedy is so much more complex than we think. You yeah. know, then some of the comedians, I, I love doing research on comedians. They're so smart. They're really, really in, deeply intelligent, deep thinkers. And the thing about comedy is, yes, a good story is not funny. A sad story that's told in a way that still can see the lightness of it and that still can tap into the thing that everyone relates to, right? Most suffering we all feel together in different ways, but a lot of us don't talk about it. So the genius of being able to stand up in front of others, open your heart, bear your soul, um, share something painful, but in a way that other people connect to, because that's why people laugh, mm-hmm. right? What is laughter? It's a relief. It's a release and it's a response. And I think it's like, a, oh my God, me too. I can't believe that. You know, yeah. it's, so it's really beautiful way of connecting ideas and enjoying too. I mean, you just feel so good after a good laugh. Yeah. And I think also like if, if you're shown like that in any situation, no matter how embarrassing or unfortunate, there is funny, there is humour, there is light, it just allows you to really deal with, because obviously in times of euphoria, you could probably find happiness and light. Like obviously in dark times, it's a lot less obvious to say that. And that's what comedy is. Shows you that in every situation, there's humor. You know, you just, an opportunity to smile. And that's, I think, why we resonate so much because um, people want to believe that. And it's authentic. I think, you know, yeah. people walk around with a mask a lot. And when people open up, and I'm a chronic oversharer, Sometimes I come away from situations and think I've got post-traumatic oversharing disorder. But what I find is people really respond to it because they feel they can be themselves too, you know. So it kind of just take your masks off. We're all here. We've all like stuffing things up and we're all here to cry and laugh. You know, it kind of brings everyone back to that same base. And that's where the disability is no longer, like if you're taking all taking away everything that makes us different and we're just looking at what makes us the same, I think that's where, you know, that's why somehow comedy is somehow related to all of this. Yeah, very cool. I think what's amazing for us is that I feel that we have a lot to share, but so much more to explore. And that's the beauty of, of wanting to do this podcast is we are also facilitating a journey for listeners, but going on the same journey and and. Just quickly touching on that, when you first sort of began to, to wrap your head around, all right, this is my new community. I have involuntarily now been placed right in the center of a 
at the struggle and the joy. Uh, what was that like for you coming to terms with this is my new life? Um, it's <clears throat> a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, an, e- an easy one to, yeah. to finish up on. Um, well, I mean, I was really, really sad when I first found out. Um, not, not for me, but knowing that her life was going to be harder. And I, I, look, I, uh, acceptance, right? Just acceptance has been, I think it's a, a lesson f- for everyone to make you more um, able to find happiness in your life because as soon as you're pushing against something that you can't change, that's just never going to, you're never going to find happiness there. So acceptance and also realignment of my expectations, right, which is what happiness is all about, yeah. If your expectations are misaligned to your reality, you're not going to be happy. And so that's taken a little bit of time, but also it's been really nice. I mean, I, I think I, I've said before, I grew up in quite a high achievement, high pressure home. And I think if this hadn't have happened, I probably would have just taken those values to my family and sort of pushed them along. But actually now our standards are very different. So getting through the day at school, that's a win, mm. right? Where in, you know, I, in my sort of old set of values, you had to kind of be your best and be the best at something. And if you weren't, man, not quite good enough, you know. I still struggle with those beliefs because, they're deep down, you know, in me. It's one of the things I'm working on with my psychologist is sort of unraveling that those beliefs about how you're supposed to be and what success looks like and what happiness is. And so um, they've all, they've lowered for all of us. And I think probably my kids are really lucky that they don't have to now have the the kind of expectations that maybe I would have brought to the table if, if this hadn't changed. But also I feel quite strongly about trying to make things better for the families like mine. That's one of my big drivers is just owning how hard it is and saying it so that other people can say it. I mean, one of the things I've observed is quite a lot of people have come to me in recent times and told me that their child has a diagnosis or has been recently diagnosed, but they don't want to come out with it. They're still grappling with it. And I absolutely understand that. There's an element of, like any process of let's call it a grief process, you know, there might be shock and then denial and then anger and then sadness and then acceptance. I don't even know if that's the right order, but along those lines. And so, no, you know, no doubt they may be somewhere in that process, but the fact that they're um, reluctant to come out with it tells you something about their own um, concerns about how people will respond to their child, how their child might be judged or treated. And that's a lot to carry. It's a lot. And I guess I just want to do whatever I can to bring love to that community and bring acceptance and help however people want to deal with it. It's absolutely everyone's own journey. But I feel very strongly about speaking on behalf of this, these families and trying to make life a bit easier. Yeah, I guess that whole concept and, and dynamic, there's really two parties that you're trying to advocate to. It's, it's the broader community of you need to, you know, improve your acceptance and understanding and, and really be allies and advocates, but also chatting to, to the family and, and to the parents and, and building on that advocacy of being like, you know, coming to terms with things and, and understanding the space they're in and, and coming to embrace it at some point, the joy and the struggle and, and being okay with taking that place in the community. Because that's where our experiences differ so much is that I, I didn't have to be in the community and it was a process for me and it allowed me to take as much time as I needed to come to the place where I was like, I am choosing to put this in the center of my life. But that's not the case for, for people who, who get a diagnosis one day and get told, you know, here you go, this is what it is. You have 
not much time to to reconcile this because now you're in it. But yeah, yeah cool. um, okay. lots lots to come, so lots much. of interesting conversations. And what we're going to do is we'll get, people can send us messages about things they'd like us to explore. Yeah, so okay. thank you so much uh, so for exciting. that. It was great to to have a chat, Anna, and lots more to explore. Yeah. So thank you very much. Can't and wait. <laughs>